Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Premed Year, session number 559. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great, great guest today, the co-chair of the admissions committee at Einstein Medical School. We're going to talk all about the changing landscape of admissions and what it looks like today from someone who's been in that world for a couple decades now. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know that MCAT, that Blueprint MCAT rather, has an amazing free account that you can get at blueprintmcat.com. Go today, blueprintmcat.com. Sign up for that free account. Get access to a half-length diagnostic, a free full-length exam, a amazing spaced repetition flashcard platform and and what i love the most is their amazing study planner tool you go and put in your dates and your schedule and it'll spit out an amazing schedule for you that you can adjust on the fly as you need go to blueprintmcat.com today sign up for that free account and get started All right, let's go and jump in. We're going to say hello to Dr. Bob Marion, again, co-chair of the admissions committee at Einstein Medical School. We're going to talk all about the admissions process and what Bob has seen over the years. Dr. Bob Marion, welcome to the pre-mid years. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm very happy to be here, wherever here is. (laughs) Wherever here is. Wherever the student is listening to this, that's where here (laughs) is. Um, Whatever time and place and... uh, uh, what, what do you call that um, universe they are in? <laughs> they, they may be in a parallel universe. They're, they're listening to this. Um, I would love to start. You, you are a seasoned physician. Uh, I would love to start when you first decided you wanted to be a doctor. Oh, I think I first wanted to be a doctor when I was in high school. Um, I think um, I had a role model, my brother, my older brother, who's five years older than than I am, um, went to medical school in about 1968, I think. And I was then a high school student, um, you know, trying to figure out where I was heading. Um, and I really, you know, I looked up to my brother. I um I liked to, the kind of stuff that he was doing, the things that he was interested in. Um, and so I figured I would follow that path. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. 
I, I followed his path. Yeah. So a lot of students listening to this will go, oh, okay, that was, that was a few years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, but you, so, so they're listening to this going, what does this guy have to teach me about getting into med school? But you currently are on an admissions committee and have been for many years. So I, I want to lead with that so that students don't go, ah, I don't need to listen to this guy. He, he doesn't know anything. I, I would love to know, looking back at your kind of pre-med journey versus what students go through now, there's there's often this thought that oh, it's changed so much. And a lot of a lot of doctors will say, oh, there's no way I could get into med school now if I had to apply. What has changed uh, over the years, uh, kind of big picture wise? What do you think has changed the most? Yeah, there's no way I would get into med school <laughs> now. There's rarely a chance that I would have gotten into medical school years and years ago. I, I think that... Um, the difference now, I think, is that we on admissions committees, I think pretty much around the country, are doing a more holistic review of people's applications. Mm. And, you know, we want, I think in the old days, it was a matter of we're looking for people who are good students who mm. are going to make it through our curriculum and wind up graduating and being able to pass the boards um, and now it's more, we're looking for people who are more well-rounded, who mm -hmm. have done all sorts of really interesting things, who are going to make good physicians. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a plus if you also be able to make it through the curriculum and, and pass the boards. So I, I think that's one major change that's occurred um, probably in the past 40 years. <laughs> Um, if I can say that. Yeah. So it's interesting. A student listening to that may go, awesome. I, I don't have a great GPA. I don't have a great MCAT score. But but Dr. Marion here is saying I, I should apply to medical school because I have a, a well-rounded list of extracurriculars. My go-to kind of saying when I talk to students is first and foremost, med schools need to make sure that you're going to pass medical school and and ideally, right, there's no uh, 100% perfect prediction of you passing medical school, passing the boards, but medical schools are judged based on the pass rates and and uh, kind of retake rates and all that kind of stuff. And they, they it would be a disservice to the student to be like, oh, 2.0 GPA, never have proven yourself academically, 472 MCAT score, never proven yourself with big, big tests. But hey, I like your extracurriculars. It would be a disservice to the student, I would think. So how do you, how do you balance that as an admissions yeah. committee to go? Uh, the 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 thing that I say is is always your grades have to be good enough. Your MCAT score right. has to be good enough. And a lot of students will will get mad at me for saying that, going, "Oh, you just you're lying or whatever." How no. how do you balance that? No. So I think first. Um, it's a disservice to accept a student who is not who we we feel is not going to be able to get through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We've done this and ruined people's lives. Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, I championed somebody who um, was um, had had gotten uh, you know the equivalent of about a four ninety on the MCATs, um, who had 
reasonable grades from a not terrific school, but had a terrific story, just mm -hmm. an amazing, she had overcome tremendous obstacles to get to where she was. And I had the sense in talking to her, I, I actually interviewed her, um, that she was going to be able to overcome anything. She'd be able to get through. It was not going to be easy for her, but she mm -hmm. was going to be able to get through. And there's a policy at Einstein that if you, um, if you fail a certain number of courses, a certain number of exams, you basically are not able to graduate. Mm -hmm. And this woman went to four, actually seven years of medical school. She had to repeat some courses. She worked really hard, but she was really devoted. And unfortunately, at the end of this, um, she failed um, step, step two of the boards mm -hmm. and couldn't graduate. Oh. And she left medical school with um, uh, like $250,000 in debt yeah. um, and no job and really no, um, no chance of getting a job. Uh, so, and she, she's gone on to try to start again at a, um, offshore medical school, but you know, it, you don't want to, once you've had, um, an applicant who's gone through something like that, I see her in every application where I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm saying to myself, this, this person is going to succeed. You know, you just don't want to do that to someone. Yeah. How do you, knowing, right, an N of one for that specific student, yeah. how do you try to come with fresh eyes and fresh hope to another student who may be very, very similar, who will succeed? Well, so, uh, so again, uh, you know, we, um, we will take chances in, in this situation um, and we have the ability now, I think more than we did, this was, um, this student was at our school about 15, 20 years ago. Now we have the ability. Now we have um, uh, educational resources that will be able to help. Um, and, and basically, you know, accepting somebody to medical school, as you said, is a big um, commitment, yeah. not just to the student, but to the school as well. We are, um, we really don't want them to fail. We don't yeah. want somebody to be in that situation. And so we uh, provide the resources to help them get through uh, some problems with test taking, some problems with reading comprehension. Um, there are uh, educational psychologists who are working with the students uh, through these um these episodes. But again, you have to really have the right person who's not mm -hmm. going to become discouraged and is not going to uh, just say, that's it, I, I've had it and, and walk away. Yeah. How do you how do you figure out who that right person is? Is it someone who has a, a track record of, of struggling in undergrad but at some point, whether it's a postback or a master's or during their undergrad, there's there's some switch somewhere that's like something happened that this student is no longer that old student. They're this new student. How do you right. figure that out? 
Right. I mean, you can see that in their coursework. You can see that if they've done post-bac work and, um, you know, have have excelled after bombing out as an undergraduate. Um, there are still things, though, that we we just we we've learned from this that you just can't take a student who's got a 480 on the MCATs or a 485 on the MCATs. They're just probably not going to be able to cut it. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, you know, you don't want to put them in this position where you've ruined their lives um, because they they have a dream and we have they, we like that dream. Yeah. You know, there are other things you can do with your life. Yeah. One of the the big missions that I'm on with the medical school headquarters, these podcasts talking to people like you, is trying to increase the transparency of this process. Right. And so what you said, someone with a 480 or 485 probably shouldn't be applying to medical school. Unfortunately, medical schools don't don't say that, right? Publicly, for the most part. On their website, they won't say hey, if you have less than a 490 or 495, whatever it is, don't bother wasting your money applying to us. Why do you think med schools aren't as transparent as that, as I think they should be to help students save some money so that they're not wasting $1,000 applying to med school, they're spending $1,000 on an MCAT tutor? No, it's it's a good point. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and I think we're relying more on the pre-med advisors um, to handle that part of the job because once the people have once the students have applied to us mm -hmm. um, it's kind of too late um, yeah it's it's really the the pre-med advisors at the co at the undergraduate colleges who should be um, really advising the students that this is not a good idea there are still going to be students, you're right, who will say, I'm not going to listen to that guy. <laughs> he doesn't, he's not me. He doesn't know what I can do. Yeah. I'm going to send in this application and here's my, my fee for the application. Um, and and you, you're right. There should be probably be some information about what, uh, what you should and should not have in your, in your packet before you, send in, you know, before you push the button. Um, I think though that, that everybody's different. Um, once you get past a certain threshold um, and, you know, the person who has a 502 on the MCATs may be somebody who, who you really want to give a chance yeah. while at the, at the same time, somebody with a 508 or a 510 um, you know, that, that person may have more problems yeah. and, and even though they've done better on the MCAT. Yeah. So I would love to dive into that. That's exactly where I wanted to go next is if you go on to, if you're familiar with student doctor network or Reddit, these, these websites where students are hanging out, talking about all of this stuff, a lot of students freak out about this process <laughs> and they assume, oh, I have a 520, I have a 40 piece of cake I'm going to get into med school and then they come they come back and go hey 52040 I applied to 30 schools I didn't get any interviews and and that freaks every other student out going well 
if that person didn't get an interview, how how did I how am I going to get an interview when I only have a five ten and a three seven? And right. and it's it's again, my mission in life is to help students understand, help parents understand, help advisors understand. It's so much more than stats. As someone who you mentioned, you're reading a couple hundred applications a day at this point, maybe. Um, what well, what is it in an application right. that that goes to that next level to go? I just read a, a five ten application. Now I'm reading a five five oh two application. I really like the five oh two better. What what is right. it in an application that that draws you to it? So again, it's a holistic. Uh, approach to the the applicant uh, what i mean by that is that the numbers are great and i and i said earlier that we're not looking for students who are going to be great students we're looking for students who are going to be great doctors yeah doing well in in your coursework is wonderful doing you know killing the the mcats is wonderful but if you haven't shown that you are really committed to a career in medicine if you haven't done the uh, you know walk the walk or talk the talk um you know we don't really want that kind of a student we want yeah. somebody who's going to be able to care for for people who mm-hmm. who is empathetic and is um caring and um, and you have to prove that to us. And there's not a lot of room for you to prove that to us. So, oh, there's so- 5,300 characters, Bob. All they need to say is, dear admissions committee, I am caring and empathetic. You should accept me. That's it, right? Actually, that would be good <laughs> if you can say that. Um, uh, but you'd be amazed, at Ryan, and I'm sure you know this, that, you know, I'll, I'll open a, an application and I'll look at the personal statement and they'll write about, the applicant will write about how much they love music and how music is really, um, really makes their soul happy. Um, that's not somebody who wants to be a doctor. That's somebody who wants to be a musician. But Tell but I'm sure they tied it. The, the dedication needed to play music is the dedication needed to study medicine. I'm sure that's how they tied it together. Right. They're kind of getting into it uh, through a back door. Yeah. But tell me that you want to be a doctor. Tell me how much you've been striving for this your whole life, how much you've done, what you've tried to do, what you want to do in the future. Um, And you'd be surprised that uh, just reading through this, I, I, I read an application earlier today and a guy basically said in his personal statement, although not in so many words, I want to be a doctor because my father is a doctor and I want to make him happy. Oh. I, want to, I want to make him proud of me. Oh. That's what we want to read. And this, was, is, this is a guy who yeah. has great numbers and I didn't offer him an interview. Because, yeah. you know, he just, this is not what we're looking uh, for in an applicant. Yeah, I I literally uh, just yesterday had a parent send me an application and, uh, his daughter applied to med school, great stats, and they have, haven't gotten any interviews yet. And so I'm like, I, I just, I offer every once in a while, send, send me an application, I'll take a look at it, just a glance at it. Number one, zero shadowing. I'm like, first big right. red flag. You, 
how can you say you want to be a doctor if you haven't shadowed a doctor to understand the life of a doctor? Uh, right. Decent amount of clinical experiences, the the writing, uh, they they bullet pointed. I, I'm not a fan of bullet pointing the the descriptions, uh, but it's, it's a style difference. Um, so not a huge thing. But the personal statement, very similar to what you just mentioned. The personal statement was, uh, my dad was supposed to be a doctor, but couldn't. And so I want to fill his shoes. That's That's very nice. And it's it's very virtuous, but that's not what we're looking for yeah. in an in an applicant to medical school. Why why is that? Right? I, I have my reasons. I, I don't want to bias yeah. you with my reasons. Why is that not a good enough reason? I think, Brian, as you know, the road to medicine is not simple and it's yeah. not straightforward. You you're gonna you, there are lots of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hard work that's involved. And unless you're motivated, unless you really want to do this, there are going to be times when you're going to say, I don't, I know, I don't want to put up with this. I, I don't want to stay up all night and take care of people who don't really want to be taken care of. Um, and, and so, and so they're going to, you know, you get the sense that making your parent happy is good to a certain point. But when push comes to shove, you're not going to, that person is not going to be there. So, so that's one of the reasons I think Uh, it really has to come from your heart and your soul. um, And you have to tell us that it has to come across in your written work. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree a hundred percent, right. Going through this process is not easy. Uh, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's start with why, right? What is your why? What is what is forcing you to wake up every day, study for eight, 10, 12 hours during medical school when you don't want to, when, when your friends right. that you're watching on social media, all your friends are out at the beach and hanging out and living life. And you're sitting there going, I, I'm wasting my twenties. I, I hate that phrase. I'm like, no, you just <laughs> chose to do something different with your twenties. Um, and it's a great thing. And I think a lot of people uh, who are physicians now, a lot of doctors now, um, went to med school because they were smart enough and they could and they wanted to to make their parents happy. And now they're miserable. And we yeah. have a lot of burnt out physicians because their why for waking up every day is not aligned with what their career is. But I, I agree completely. Um, and so we're trying to avoid that. And one of the ways is tell, you know, you have to really tell us that this is what you want to do. And even if your numbers aren't perfect, Mm -hmm. and even if your MCAT scores are not great, um, if you tell us that you are, um, are, this is what you've wanted to do your whole life, um, you know, that's better to us than somebody who has those perfect numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. 100%. So, Let's let's talk to the student who who maybe doesn't have those perfect numbers. How do they prove to you that they're going to be that quote unquote good enough student? Is it just a matter of go do a post back and get good grades or do they just write in their essay, "Hey, I'm really sorry about my my grades. Here's here's what happened." Well, it depends. It depends on how bad the grades are. Yeah. Um there are, you know, if the if if you can't if we can't see that you're going to be able to get through the curriculum, mm-hmm. um, 
you need to do a post back. Mm -hmm. You need to retake the MCATs and do better. Retaking the MCATs alone is not is not helpful, but retaking the MCATs and doing better. And so you may need to study for it in a different way. Yeah. Um, but there are other situations where the numbers aren't aren't great, but this is somebody who you can see is a caring, concerned, empathetic person. They've done all sorts of amazing things in their in their free time. Mm-hmm. They've uh, volunteered in the community. Mm-hmm. They've made a difference in the community. They've done research that is, um, you know, uh, not just um, uh, not just um, you know uh, uh, cleaning the test tubes or something. Just trying yep. to come, up with, <laughs> but they, they're really their their work is real, yeah. and um, they're not just checking off the. Um, the the box yep. in, on the application. So they've done community work. They've, uh, the, as you said, shadowed physicians. Mm-hmm. They've they've done um, hands-on medical work in an emergency room setting yeah. or in a clinic, a free clinic, or something like that. They've really tried to make a difference in in society, um, and and they need to tell us that in the essays. Yeah. You know, there, there's very, in looking at an application, there's, there are very few places where you can feel what the, or, or get a sense of who this person actually mm-hmm. is. We can't really rely on letters anymore, yeah. it turns out, because nobody will write anything bad about it. <laughs> You'd be surprised. We, we, we have a letter of recommendation service as part of our software platform, and we review them for signatures and dates and all that stuff. Yeah. I've seen some pretty bad ones. <laughs> but yeah, few, few and far between. The worst letter ever today. I, I, this was the wor- I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years. This could have been the worst letter written for in uh, as um, for a, for a student. And so you have to also question in that in your mind in that sense, this person was going to write a bad letter. First of all, why did the person write the bad letter? Yep. They must really hate this person. <laughs> but yeah. secondly, the applicant, Lack some judgment. Lack judgment didn't yeah. have the sense that this person hated her. Yeah. So, you know, so I, you know, that's that's another area that you have to think yeah. about. You have to get letters from people who know you. Yeah. Well, Bob, Bob, you just said we can't rely on letters. Let's get rid of letters. Well, we could get rid of letters. I want I, mean, I want you to take a stand right now. Einstein's yeah. going to be the first med school to get rid of letters, right? <laughs> no, no, that be the case. Uh, but you know what's happened over the past few years is that the pre-med committees um, have stopped evaluating students. 100%. More more. It's, it's one yeah. big mission that I'm on is to get rid of committee letters because yeah. it takes up so much time that these pre-health offices are busy writing committee letters. They're not advising students. Right. But they're not saying anything in the committee letters <laughs> either. They're, they're, they're afraid also of yeah. getting sued. So yeah. there's no bottom line. There used to be, you could read letters, um, especially if you know the, the pre-med advisor and yep. you understand what he or she uh, what his his or her code is yep. um you could you could sell see that this is somebody this person really liked 
yeah. or this person, not so much. Now those are all gone. They don't have any bottom lines. Um, and so you're left with looking at individual letters that are also mostly, um, you know, will come down on, I love this person. I like this person a lot. <laughs> Or this person will do okay. Yeah. Um, and and you know it's kind of shades of gray, rather than rather than um, you know taking a stand. So yeah. those aren't really helpful. So the only way that we get to know who this applicant is is in the written work, yeah. the essays. Um, so the personal statement any supplemental essays that um, the schools ask for, um, responses to specific questions. And uh, again, you get a sense from reading the written work who this person is, whether you like this person, whether you don't like this person. Yeah. Um, whether this person cares, because if you send me an essay, a personal statement with really bad grammar and lots of spelling mistakes, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, this is not somebody who really cares about this. Yeah. You know, it was something that he or she dashed off and, and is sending out to medical schools. Um, didn't take the time to proofread it. Didn't take the time to have somebody else read it. Yeah. Um, so the, and you know, normally this wouldn't be so important, but, because of the fact that there aren't so many places where we can get to know who the person is, we, we have to, you know, magnify all of these kinds of things. Yeah. And of course the interview, yeah. that's the other place where we get to, to know who the person, who the person is. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, there's no, the, the, the written stuff uh, that, that the student sends in and, and the interview can't trust the letters don't really care about the grades, except you have to tell me that you're able to get through the curriculum and able to pass the the standardized tests. Yeah, uh, and and basically that's that's where we we sit. And and the process isn't a hundred percent foolproof, right? There there are students who who can trick you for a day during an interview, and you realize, uh oh, this student should not have been accepted. How how do you, uh, as an admissions committee, see those students on the other side? Go, uh oh, let's adjust our processes for the following year so that we can avoid these types of students from slipping through the cracks. Yikes. It's, it's a night. It's really a nightmare, Ryan. I mean, this is really the kinds of things that keep admissions committees awake at night. We had a student um, a number of years ago who um, graduated from Einstein and then went on to um, commit a mass murder. And immediately the person uh, the the head of the admissions committee at the time went back to his application to see who interviewed him yeah um because figured there there you know if this has happened there must be some something in the in the application something in the interview that was missed yeah and the person who interviewed him was 
the chair of the admissions committee, the guy who was looking at this. So it's a it's a crapshoot to some extent. Yeah. And and you're right. There are people who who can fool you in a in an interview setting. Um, also, you have to have interviewers who are um, who, who are uh, talented enough, I guess is not the word talented, but mm-hmm. who, who are um, seeing enough uh, to be able to uh, evaluate what this person is saying and how he or she is saying it mm-hmm. um, so that you can try to get the sense that you're not being fooled by by this person but it happens and there's no way you can avoid it but we take those things seriously and we look back yeah and see if there's anything we missed in the application or in the interview um so that we don't do it again in the future yeah I, I talk to lots of uh, admissions committee members, uh, deans, directors of admissions, chairs of admissions, and and oftentimes this conversation around what that good enough level is from an MCAT standpoint, from a GPA standpoint. Um, and a lot of times admissions offices are under-resourced, understaffed, and, and so they don't have the resources to follow up with the the rest of the faculty who are who are teaching the students that you all are letting in and getting that kind of full circle feedback going this student is really struggling let's figure out where in their application we may have been able to catch this so that either a we shouldn't have accepted them but maybe b could have given a heads up to the faculty to say, hey, keep your eye on this kid. We have high hopes for them, but they may need some help in, in one area or another. How, how do you see that um, kind of playing out at your school? Obviously, you can only, you know, only speak for your school. Right. So, you know, uh, there are a couple of answers. One is that the members of the admissions committee are also um, – the faculty who teach the students. So we know pretty early on if somebody is having trouble, but we can predict who's going to have trouble. I mean, we're taking students who we believe are going to make really good physicians, um, but may not be really good students. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have trouble getting through. Um, And we can provide those students with extra help um, we can we have a, a summer biochemistry course to kind of give them a leg up um, before the year starts so they they start off a little stronger than they would have had they not had this experience. Um, and again, we have educational resources that will um, help a student out when he or she is um, having trouble uh, but, we may know that the student's having trouble before the student knows that he or she is having trouble. So we can identify those students. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is really an important part of this is that um, if you're going, if you're not going to take students who are, who are all, you know, four O's and five twenties on the MCATs, um, if you're going to take, students who you think you're looking at holistically and they're they're not so strong academically but they are strong in really in other areas 
you're going to have to provide those students who are not so strong academically with some assistance. And so the school has built on that. We've we've really built a, a nice um, a group of of uh, professionals who can really help out students um, who are getting into academic trouble. Mm. One of the the kind of things that uh, I am a, a kind of a huge proponent of in this process, again, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, is transparency and trying to help students understand I, I have a shot, I don't have a shot, right? It's, it's never a, yes, you will get in, um, but but yeah, you're probably going to be competitive. What do you think it is that makes a student competitive in the grand scheme of things in today's day and age of applications? So, you know, again, I, I think we're looking holistically. So um, the, the applicants that we're looking for have proven that they can get through the curriculum and that requires some um, grade point average and, and you know, uh, success in the sciences, success on the, on the MCATs, but they don't have to overwhelmingly be successful uh, in those areas. But they have to prove that they're committed to um, do what needs to be done in order to get from point A to point B to point C. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that implies that they're, they're, they have this drive, they have this desire to get through the curriculum to become a physician because they understand that the endpoint is worth all of the sacrifice that they may be making before that. So it's, it's, an, it's a lot of intangibles. Yeah. That I think, unfortunately, I mean, you know, most students are looking for, tell me what goals I have to reach and I'll work on that. Yep. It's more than that, though. It's it's like it's a whole attitude toward toward life. Yeah. And and we we have that conversation all the time and, and students will get frustrated with me. They're like, Dr. Gray, should I do this or that? <laughs> I'm like. Uh, which one do you want to do, <laughs> right? It's like, who who are you as a person and what are your passions? Because ultimately that's what's going to come out in an application and in, uh, in an interview. And I think students too often, uh, and I, I was having this conversation recently with the, the um, Dean of Admissions at, at USF, the, the conversation around students asking the school, what do you want? Versus the student just saying, here's who I am take it or leave it. Right. And, and, and I think the students saying who they are, it may not fit one particular mm-hmm. school, but it will fit another school. A hundred percent. And, you know, the, we keep that in mind when we're looking at applications, when we're, when we're screening to see who should get an interview and who shouldn't and who after an interview we're evaluating for acceptance or, mm-hmm. or not. Um, we keep in mind the fact that there are lots of medical schools that people apply to multiple medical schools and that the right, this may not be the right place. I mean, the Bronx is a, you know, it's a place we, you have to really be committed to this, um, to this population, Mm -hmm. to, to caring for people who are underserved. Um, 
who have very little and come to us for their medical care, you have to understand that. And that's not for everybody. It's yeah. not, it's not, you know, somebody may not be happy in that environment, but mm -hmm. they will be happy in another environment yep. and they'll be more successful in that environment. So those are all things that have to be taken into account. It's not just the applicant, it's the environment that the applicant will be working and living in. Yeah, hundred percent. For the student listening to this, as we, as we wrap up here, for the student listening to this, who just took in everything that that you and I have just talked about, and is is maybe left with more questions and more concerns, and and still isn't sure about what those next steps are. What do you have? to say to them, to reassure them about what kind of we were just talking about, about following passions and following their own path? I think that if you're committed to a career in medicine, and this is something that you really want to do, and you're not really saying, well, I'll do medicine, but if I don't get into medical school, I'll do something else. Mm -hmm. If you're saying, I want to be a doctor, and I'm going to be a doctor, there are pathways to do that. Yep. There, you, you can, you know, there are a lot of American medical schools. There are also opportunities outside of the U.S. I started, I had, everybody on, on admissions committees has a story. Uh, my story is I start, I, I applied to American medical schools a couple of years, didn't mm -hmm. get in anywhere. Um, and wound up starting medical school very fortunately at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, yeah. um, which that year was taking a small group of American students. Um, and it was a wonderful experience, but everybody in my cohort was so depressed because we had collectively applied to like a thousand medical schools and, and we hadn't gotten in. Yeah. And we were forced to leave our home home in order to get to where we wanted to be. And, you know, I, I was, I was driven to do that. Um, and my, my colleagues were driven to do that. And I fortunately was able to get into Einstein because um, I happened to work in a lab of, a guy who became the chair of the admissions committee the next year. <laughs> it's all about who you know. <laughs> it's all about who you know. So, and I've been at Einstein ever since. But if you have the drive and are committed, there are there are ways to get to where you want to go. Yeah. There are ways to get there. Well, Dr. Bob Marion, thank you so much for coming on the pre-med years and sharing some wisdom, sharing your story, and hopefully giving some students some motivation that, yes, this process is hard. Uh, getting through med school is hard. Getting into med school is hard. But it's doable, and you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect, but you do need to be committed. All right, so there you have it again, Dr. Bob Marion. An amazing, amazing guest talking about the inside information to medical school admissions. Again, obviously, this is just one person, one point of view, but I, I travel the country talking to lots of deans and directors of admissions and ADCOM members and chairs and co-chairs, and it's, it's a very similar story, and it's not always the same. 
there are some nuances here and there and everywhere. Um, and and yes, there are there are a handful of schools that don't follow the the general uh, kind of advice that we offer here every week or that we hear from people like Dr. Marion every uh, every week. So um, you can't apply this information to a hundred percent of the schools, but you can probably apply to eighty five or ninety percent of schools. And that is pretty awesome. So hopefully this was a helpful episode for you. If you like this podcast, I would love for you to go tell someone about it. Go tell someone. Hey, go listen to this episode. Hey, I heard you wanted to go to Einstein. Go listen to this episode. Uh, We're going to have more guests like this in the future. I just spoke to the director of admissions at University of Central Florida's medical school. That episode is going to be coming up in the next few weeks as well. I love these inside looks. So hopefully you enjoy them as well. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.